Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Daniel, we're starting part two of VUC 576, audio only, and uh, you and I have been trying to uh, draw people into the vortex of ZipDX. Right. We have an excellent web, web audio client. What is it that we're trying to do? Let's hear from the beginning. Sure. So this is a world historic experiment. Um and primarily sort of an advocacy for a future of voice. And, and the basic idea in, in the great and gathering conversation is, can there exist sometime in the future a conversation in cyberspace for each of the 250 million websites that are out there? So these are just websites or topics of interest that people find interesting. Um, and the thought is there could be real-time live conversations on each of those websites uh, and we're starting the first conversation uh, over at ZipDX for the next 30 days. We have about 23, 24 days left. Um, you can think of it as sort of a vigil. So we're, you know, we're trying to keep a candle lit, um, even if only one person is there, uh, 24/7 um, up through February 8th. Uh, the magic of February 8th. It's the 20th anniversary of John Perry Barlow's Declaration of uh, the independence of cyberspace. And again, it's just a sentiment. Um, the declaration back then, uh, he wrote it up uh, based on his upset about the Telecom Act of 1996 and the takeover of the Internet from his perspective then. And, and the Internet was, of course, only about 30 million people um, back then. But the sense was, and he had a sense that, you know, the possibility of a new frontier that was the cyberspace would be foreclosed by the powers that be. And here we are 20 years later, 3 billion people on the Internet, and that pretty much is the, you know, the vibe we feel, that to the extent that any new frontier exists, it's, it's being attempted to foreclose it. So voice um, as a way, as sort of the most efficient way for humans to communicate has ended up as sort of the last resort for communication today. Um, companies in general hate to interact with their customers in voice. Um, our delivery of voice as a sort of usability as an application has been pretty poor. Um, voice quality itself hasn't increased since 1934 for the general user, although right now we're talking to each other in G722. So the the project over at 30, 300,000, um, so we're keeping the 300,000 ZipDX bridge uh, open for um, through February 8th, 24-7, so we invite people to come by. You know, Randy, it's I've learned a lot already, um, and so if you just ask the question, if there was a destination always there 24-7, what would happen? Um, and so I, I can kind of list the things that I've learned. Have you learned things, Randy? Yeah, I've learned a lot of things. I've learned that uh, telling 50,000 people to come and join you 
doesn't necessarily bring more than one or two. But well, it, uh, we'll so, see. Well, one learning is you got to tell them from inside, right? So, like, everyone is already kind of overscheduled. And so to ask somebody to schedule something um, on top of their existing schedule is very difficult. So um, the sense is it has to be ad hoc. It, people have to know that it's there. Um, and I think we're developing even uh, maybe this is just me, Randy, but I think we're developing a bit of a community, right? So we're, <laughs> we have people coming back and regulars and we're adding people as hosts to keep the candle on. Um, and, and, and the conversations have been super interesting. Oh, there's there are a lot of interesting things going on, and yes, the the conversation is interesting. Right now, we're on a unitary one by one basis, where we'll have one person in at a time, and it is good. Um, yes, no, I've been doing the ad hoc thing. Uh, I I have an event scheduled for next week, but I have been uh, tweeting out and so on, and uh, there's a lot of channels to act on, by the way, and we've been giving the uh, the ZipDX uh, web, this web phone, as they call it, is, is really works amazingly well. I mean, it's WebRTC, and a lot of people do WebRTC, but it really is painless. I would say the only thing that uh, it causes problems is the very end when you're on that page with two icons. But that's the thing we can do about that right now. But I think there's potential here. Yeah, I do. So, so I think we can just think of it as an exploration. Right. Absolutely. Any other voice advocates uh, on the chat here want to chime in? You know, James has something to say. I can tell reading his face. You reckon I got something to say? You're actually probably better off to use the Hangout audio. Am I? Because you two are scratchy. Really? Um, what do I? No, now it's okay. Now? I'm probably okay on the Hangout, but it's just um, coming through the um, the Michael. Um, gateway back into the yeah hangout true true I think oh now, I that's think what it, you mean. yeah could be yeah I, I think that Daniel's experiment is a very interesting one I'm 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 extremely interested to see how it pans out um, I suspect that the technology used to host the uh, the great and gathering conversation is going to be reasonably important. And I see going forward uh, something like uh, Matrix, like the Matrix, Matrix.org, could be a really good mechanism for uh, for setting up this kind of distri distri distributed um, uh, conversation system, because um, one single centra centralized infrastructure just is not going to scale properly. So, um, but these are early days yet, and ZipDX is without doubt a very, very fine wideband conference bridge and things like yeah. the uh, the web phone software it just makes it so easy for people to get in get on so let's watch with great interest and see what happens yeah so it's part of what has happened to the voip community so voip has been around for 20 years and there's this gigantic thing called the telephone network as you know the gravitational pull kind of alters the way that people think about voice and think about conversations and it sort of makes us deploy things in a narrow way the great and gathering conversation is trying to expand it and say look you know a conversation is a conversation it, it doesn't have to be like the the metaphor i use for a traditional telephone call is like somebody coming to your house they knock on your door they expect you to answer the door maybe it's a salesman you don't want to answer the door it has to be somebody you know um, it's generally pretty quick unless you want to invite them in so there's a whole sort of use case that 
that is the telephone call that just generates about six minutes of usage per day, um, but that if you open it up and you just say, look, I, I just want to have a conversation with anybody about anything um, or you know, I want to go search, I have a particular question, let's say, about even a technical matter, wouldn't there maybe be a conversation on this where people talking about it live? Um, maybe like Usenet, maybe like IRC, um, maybe like CB radio was, you know, I don't know, that was maybe the 70s or something. Um, so it's, it's just an experiment. I'm just typing, typing to Olivier that, in fact, where he is, he could actually call in if he wants to call into ZipDX. Is anybody old enough to have actually used CB radio? Yes. Uh, what do you mean? Are we old enough? That's what I mean. Good budgie, come back, go away on the flip-flop flop or something like that. <laughs> well, of course, ham radio is the original, yeah. Absolutely. This, yeah, and uh, there are a number of us lurking on here who were and still are radio amateurs, believe it or not. So, uh, so, so Daniel, are, are you a radio ham or were you a radio ham? Randy, I wasn't. Um, and so I'm mainly a voice partisan. So um, I'm so a big is, advocate. What, I'll take you to task there. What in heaven's name is a voice partisan? So a voice partisan is somebody that believes that human beings have to communicate sort of most efficiently and most completely in voice. And so what that means is that I could, um, you know, send a text to my wife and say, look, I'll be home in 15 minutes. But if I were to call her on my HD phone and I say I'm home in 15 minutes, she will get a lot more information or we will get a lot of information. She'll know, one, am I telling the truth? Two, was it really me? Three, am I in a hurry? Four, am I sad, happy? Um, she could ask questions. And so humans have been communicating in voice for 100,000 years. We had a oral tradition uh, for about 95,000 years. And so we as sort of have evolved as a voice species, and we've pushed it so far off now that it voices the last resort. Um, I think we've really hurt ourselves. So I'm a voice partisan. You know what? When you say voice partisan, I thought that's somebody who kind of hides in bushes and then leaps out and shouts at people. <laughs> Could be it, yeah. Um, but you know what? We should not possibly, perhaps we should not just limit ourselves to voice because. Um, the, uh, whilst um, high-definition wideband voice is great, um, high-definition wideband voice with high-definition video is even better. The fact that we can look, I can look at Randy's face, and I can make, I can make expressions. Bleh, yes, exactly. Just like that. Um, uh, that is very, very rich communication. And we've so I'm going to defer to Michael on this. Michael, what was the speech about the spice and the, the meals? I will I will give it to you. From my perspective, video is great, and and you hear a lot of people and they throw numbers around about you know X percentage of communication is nonverbal, and and I I only somewhat agree, and that is voice comes first. Um, all of the nonverbal communication is quite often meaningless without the verbal communication to give it context. And so the analogy I was using about spices was you can have a finely spiced you know, meal. It's got to be a good meal first, and then the spices make it better. Video is the spice, but voice is the bread and butter of the meal. It is the well, I would, I would, I would, yeah, I'd phrase that slightly bit 
differently. I say you've got to have a balanced mix, which um, in, involves things like text messaging as well when it's appropriate, um, and, and w- with voice, both narrow band and wide band voice, and a bit of video as well. And if you don't do the whole lot, then you're not balanced. Well, I, and I, think- I defer. I defer to Jeff Rodman, who once said that the the very best thing, the most important thing in great video conferencing, is great audio. Without audio, it doesn't matter how good the video is. Well, because they have, they did actual experiments where, and this is how Jeff Rodman got into high definition audio, was they did experiments. They showed people the exact uh, um, same video with high def and and standard voice, and people had the impression that the one with HD voice, the video was better. And there was just something about our brains that we just, you know, the, we tie all these senses together, right? So we don't necessarily differentiate what is coming through the ear versus the eyes. It's just an experience. But if you in this case, they were giving people the exact same video experience, but a better audio experience. And the way they reacted to it, they sort of they answered the questions. They said, "Oh yeah, that video is better." And, and I think I, that's inter- I have a question. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. Well, it was it's a technical question for anybody who wants to answer it, but I think it's appropriate uh, to ask Dan because we were talking about you, here. You're talking about HD, what we call HD voice, which is apparently uh, at one point was. Uh, trademarked by Polycom, but the point is anyway um, that what was the determination, any of you probably know this, I don't, uh, what was the determination of the bandwidth of the original PSTN? That was based on, did somebody figure out this is what wires can handle? Is that how See, that yeah, works? Yeah, I actually, I actually know that story. So in, in 1934, AT&T, um, you know, Bell Labs existed. And AT&T's mucking around with um, vacuum tubes, you know, trying to deliver their service. In, and it was sort of ad hoc what spectrums they were throwing across the uh, telephone lines. And so they did a study. They had a guy by the name of Harvey Fletcher, um, who eventually became the head of uh, Bell Laboratories. They said, Harvey, go figure out the spectrum range that would sort of best deliver or make a telephone call intelligible. Oh, but... By the way, Har- Harvey, make it as shitty, sort of a narrow possible spectrum as possible. Because, oh, by the way, you know, we don't have computers. We don't have the transistor. We don't, you know, it is a pain in the ass to deliver audio across copper wires. So Harvey did a really sophisticated uh, subjective study, throwing in sort of intelligible noises and ran humans through it, which basically founded, his work founded the whole um, category of uh, human voice study. And he came up with 300 hertz to 3,300 hertz. Um, but Harvey, you know, the catch was that at the time, you didn't have very much in, in the way of non-native speakers. You didn't have conference calls. And Harvey was very aware that when you only give folks, and, and of course, the ear can hear from 20 to 20,000, you know, in general. So you're given a very narrow spectrum. This is a, more narrow than AM radio. AM radio is wideband compared to the traditional voice call. Um, and he knew that what happens is is that humans know what the other human is going to say, so they don't need the whole audio information. And when someone says something, since you already expect to hear a certain thing, you use 
the brain automatically interpolates and fills in the gaps. And, and Harvey knew that, and he went to the managers, and he said, well, you know, you asked me to do this, I've done it, but I really think we need to deliver full-spectrum audio. And he went on um, to do a full-spectrum audio study and show that they could deliver it, um, and this, as a side note, led to the invention of the electronic hearing aid. Um, Harvey is the inventor of the electronic hearing aid, and at the time, it was the size of a, a desk, uh, and it was offered only for the CEO of AT&T to sit at the boardrooms. Um, but it's just crazy as we sit here in 2015, 2016, that we are still in the standard network using this spectrum range invented in 1934. It's just beyond crazy. And I want to, and I want to paint a picture for everybody. Uh, thank you, Daniel. That's perfect because I wasn't sure. I knew it was something like that. And if you look at the definition, uh, I mean, excuse me, the development of television, you know that the burst, color burst frequency, for example, 3.58596, was uh, developed by a ma- someone who did a math thing and said this is the frequency that's not going to make lines on the screen or something like that. But anyway, the imagine, if you will, back in the 20s, they developed this this thing, this sound, this uh, band with dynamic range and uh, 333 to 3300, whatever it was that you said, that that frequency band. And you had that quality. Now, imagine today what pornography looked like in 1925. It was like <laughs> a three quarters of a leg, right? And the rest was covered up. That's exactly <laughs> what, we're, what we're getting on the PSTN today, right? I mean, how, how good Not is that? I guess pretty yeah. good example of it. Well, and, and I mean, it, you it know, it would be like somebody's. <laughs> Go ahead. It, it interests me that we went through. So that's that's back in the 1930s, and we go through this entire process of um, uh, digitization. You know, the the networks went from from analog to digital in the 60s and the 70s, and all they ever tried to do was replicate that 1930-something standard. And yeah. Nobody ever tried to to jump ahead. Uh, there were now there were niche applications and stuff, but if you if you carry this forward to a modern context and look at WebRTC, where you're trying to do video and audio, I think it's quite interesting. I think we can learn some things about uh, it. It is better to degrade the video experience when you're bandwidth constrained than to degrade the audio experience. Or one should pay close attention to the audio experience and casting casting off other things as necessary to sustain the audio experience. And it's such a light part of the load anyway. Yeah, so you're a voice partisan too. So but so we'll see as these things get deployed, but I think that the other side of it is that we won't have to compromise, right? So that, you know, we pretty quickly hear or if we can get people to pay attention and it, again, that's why the great gathering conversation is to have a conversation out there that people want to connect to. Um and you optimize that pretty quickly we'll have full spectrum audio. I mean, and and we'll be able to do music, etc. So it's just for it's been this sort of, you know, zero progress for 80 years, and it's it's just hopefully we'll just take off from here. You want to hear some interesting news? Doesn't necessarily relate to voice particularly, but something that just came up on the SurSound mailing list yesterday or the day before. Um, Google has added to uh, GitHub a project that relates to YouTube, where YouTube will shortly have the ability to convey not only uh, full spectrum audio, but also um, 
full paraphonic surround, uh, including uh, a mechanism for spherical harmonics. They basically added declaratives for uh, ambisonic four-channel encoded surround. So, sorry, what are spherical harmonics? Um, so stereo. No. It's, so you need stereo to get the spherical harmonics. You, you need. It's actually conveyed in four, three or four channels typically. Spherical harmonics, is, it's a way of encoding paraphonic, which means surround with height. And uh, there's, there's really only one sort of rational way to do it. It's called ambisonics. You end up with signals that are called X, Y, Z, and W that are like the cardinal coordinates. Yeah, that a so kind of is. like three-dimensional, but really four-dimensional. It, it, yeah, it's 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 properly three-dimensional. You, you have a sort of an omni-channel that that measures a pressure wave, and then you have three different vectors. That and by doing some some at first simple, but it gets complicated matrix math. You can steer yeah. a sound, or you can steer a location anywhere around you. And from a YouTube perspective, what this means is. As we do things, you know, video, interactive video games and stuff, w- when you walk forward into a scene, the entire sound space is going to move forward with you. And if you turn your head to the left, your audio perspective will change. And if you turn your head to the right, your audio perspective will change again. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do with, the, with DSP uh, processing music. I had a little DSP speaker thing, tiny little thing, but it was projecting sounds in, in three dimensions. Um, well, just and, by controlling the, the, the phase relationship between the two wavefronts. Yeah, um, most people who talk about 3D really only mean stereo with a little phase trickery. Um, you don't get to 3D until you can convey height, and it's very hard in just stereo to make things move up and down. It's actually impossible to do it, believably. But that's where this new extension of YouTube is quite encouraging. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And And the other nice thing about directional of course is it also solves the problem about figuring out or helps the problem figure out who's speaking so if you're in a group and you have directional that's another bit of information as to who's speaking one of the you know consequences of not improving voice quality for 80 years is that it has really destroyed the general population's view of voice and so as i mentioned uh, harvey fletcher didn't have to deal with conference calls today if you're on a standard definition conference call, your brain is lit up, you know, like a Christmas tree trying to understand who's speaking what. And, and, and it is extremely sort of processing, quote unquote, intensive of the brain. And so after an hour of a conference call, you will have, you know, like run a mile and you'll be exhausted. And all that has to do with really terrible voice quality and if, if we had much better voice quality and 3d and height um your brain would not have to work as hard and it wouldn't be as exhausting indeed and this is one of the reasons why mobile networks are really quite keen to implement high definition wideband voice because um because the calls last longer and so you make more money out of yeah. them if they last longer i think we we're, we're leaving out the. i mean i used to be a, a, a Sorry, proponent of what um of what was suggested here in terms of being a voice advocate, but I've kind of gone off it in in the sense that I don't think it's, I think we're under undervaluing the convenience of dealing with things when we want to deal with them rather than when the telephone rings. The, the amount of irritation of having to be synchronous, um, you have to outweigh that, and I don't think we're even close, which is why I think some of the experiments with asynchronous voice, even if it's only slightly asynchronous, 
they're really really interesting because then you can get the both the best of both worlds but nobody's come up with user experience for that that makes sense to real people so i can give the voice partisan answer to that um so the voice partisan would say that yes um as, as a starting point, you want people to have all the possible communication options that they can have. But part of the problem you end up with, um, it just in ter- terms of humanity, is there is sort of this trend, sort of uh, race to the bottom, that the voice conversation, the real-time one, and I'm not talking about a traditional phone call, right? So I I'm, I'm, I'm definitely think we're over having the damn phone ring. But as far as participating in voice conversations, it is a commitment, but it, it's a commitment to connect with your fellow human being. And what they're finding is that kids these days who, who do not, you know, I've, you know, you, you drive up and you see two teenagers sitting across from each other and they're texting somebody else. Like I saw a guy, I was out sailing, I saw a guy on his jet ski texting somebody. Um, you know, and so we are moving well away from voice. We're just immersed in the screen. But what they're finding is that kids, you do not learn empathy unless you, you know, we learn empathy through interacting and voice communication with others. And so, you know, we know, of course, people, it's much easier to flame somebody over email or whatever than in, in person and in voice. So I'm just saying, yes, I agree that we need to have all the possible flexibility but you still kind of kind of hang on to the value of human to human interaction through voice but 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 i think there are two things there and 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 one of which is to do with the synchronous nature of the exchange uh, and the and the other one is the the voice itself and i think those two things don't necessarily have to be coupled we've seen experiments i mean torco is a case in my in in point and there are a few others where um where you can use voice and you can use voice effectively, but it doesn't have to be exactly synchronous. You can deal with it a couple of minutes and that's just fine. You can listen to it, catch up with it, you know, those sorts of things. Now, that, that hasn't, like I say, it's difficult to find a user interface which works well for that, but I don't think we should rule that out completely. I think, you know, what, what Torco was doing is interesting and I think you know, the walkie-talkie does and 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 things like that is genuinely something we should look at because you can get the richness of the the tonality and and the quality of the voice without necessarily having to give up the convenience of i don't want to deal with that right now yes so i'll concede that you, you again you should pursue all the fascinating possible iterations of this um, but again, I'll just sort of on voice. I think the really interesting thing is if, if we get to this sort of grading gathering conversation idea, the, the thought is that everyone on the planet can be participating on voice conversations, essentially what we're doing right now. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are. You're getting really high quality and ideally 3D voice. And that changes the planet. I mean, essentially you think, you know, Marshall McLuhan said the message, uh, the medium is the message, and it, and, and it really does. The nature of your communication tool shapes civilization. And so if we had a tool that allowed everyone on the planet to interact in voice, it would be, you know, it would change us. I, I, I agree with that, but I think you're omitting the detail of time zones. I think, I mean, using, using asynchronous voice across time zones I actually did a project where we used the thing we were building um, to manage a team over several time zones using voice. And, and it, you know, it, it interface 
lacked some things or had too many things, I'm not sure which, was in some ways unsatisfactory. But it actually worked pretty well as, as, as a way of getting stuff done. So, and I think that time zone thing is, is pretty much un, insurmountable without giving up on the synchronous behavior. Yeah, it is. Randy, we've run over here. I, I don't want to drag out your show. There is, there is no over, but um, okay. I'm hearing noise on everybody, too, and I'm trying to figure out what that, whether that's come on my end or the ZipDX end or what. Is everybody hearing that? So uh, when I was I, in the I, Hangout, I, I, I was hearing right. noise. And now you're not? Yeah, Google's having some problems today. Maybe I'll go directly to the Hangout. Maybe I'll go directly to ZipDX as well because – yeah, the sound on ZDX well, we'll was see, much we'll better than the recording. Randy, uh, what are you, uh, Corrado? What did you say? You hear? I can hear perfectly you, Randy, but I can hear um, quite a breakup from uh, from the ZDX. From the from ZDX, yeah. There's yeah. Google, and we were having problems with the video definition. I think there's a Google issue going on here. You think? Because we yeah. are on Google Hangouts, and I can hear it perfectly. And well, but there was, but the video isn't what it should be. We noticed that at the beginning. Okay. Let can me. You, can uh, you, see you, uh, you know what? I'm going to bring up a something I never do. Bring up a SIP client. Woohoo! Right. Uh, it's in fact quite peculiar that we are having uh, this conversation about quality, uh, and we have we we are having problems with quality. Exactly. <laughs> That's why it's too ironic for me. I can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan may not appreciate However, this. Uh, he's not seeing uh, the video. If, if, if you allow me, um, uh, we are debating about um, synchronous or asynchronous communication. Uh, we've been dealing with asynchronous and synchronous communication on telephones for years now, since the invention of the answering machine. So um, we can handle both and we can have both. In, in as medium of communication, I don't think it's it's a problem uh, that we need we, we should choose one or the other. If we can create a system that does both together uh, and it does with quality, with uh, high um, wide band codecs and possibly with low band uh, low frame ratio video, much better. Yeah, so I agree. I mean, just keep working on new ways to communicate. And so I'm just sort of sensitive to, there's a push, you know, for example, you take Google, right? So Google doesn't want you to interact with them in voice. Um, you take Uber, they don't put a, a voice phone out there. And so from a perspective of a company that is trying to scale and trying to scale in the least possible, you know, least expensive way, you don't want to have voice. And so, there, because humans don't scale as well, and and if if you imagine there was sort of a universe that was nothing but voice, it was everybody was interacting in voice. Well, that universe would exclude machines because up to this point, you know, the Turing test of you know a transparent interaction with a machine, and and that's just text, not even in voice, isn't there. So I think companies realize that. They need to get rid of voice if they want to scale to infinity cheaply. Uh, and I'm just saying, you know, I'm just putting an anchor guard. Oh, by the way, if we lose voice, um, we're losing something that we don't want to lose. I had to uh, interact recently with Time Warner. Now, Time Warner does not do business in this particular city, but I was helping somebody just outside of Austin where they do do business. And I decided to IM them 
because when I called them, there was a you know lengthy time on hold projected. But I IM'd them, and in a you know 15 minutes of IMing back and forth with a human representative, we got it done without. Uh, they they still did have to engage me in a voice manner though, because they needed to record my voice accepting the changes in the terms of the arrangement or amending's plan. Um, it, but it was quite a good experience. Uh, actually dealing with them, the combination of IM and and the the thing that was nice about the IM part is what they were able to hide because they were able to hide, um, I guess I would say, the impression that the person who was taking care of me was not particularly swift. You know, in in short little IMs, you really <laughs> and they were probably it. helping a couple people at the same time, possibly, and it took them a, a considerable amount of time to go about doing the once we had discussed what I wanted to do, you know. Had the exchange about what I wanted to do. It then took them, you know, ten minutes of behind-the-scenes cogitation to come back and say, "Yes, we're ready to do it, and we'll have our confirmation department call you." And so it gave them a kind of a two-factor authentication at that point. And they they never did actually talk to me, um, but I went through their automated system where they recorded me accepting the terms they described. Right. So if anybody wants to participate in the uh, grading gathering uh, conversation vigil, uh, if you want to hold the candle for a little bit, just check in uh, anytime, 24-7 uh, at the ZipDX 300,000 uh, conference code, uh, or you can get in there with a CIPURI, dan at danielberninger.com, or you can get in there with a web phone um, at vuc.me slash talk. Um, and so, you know, obviously there's lots of ways to get in there, and, and usually there'll be somebody in there, and, and we'll chat, and we've been deputizing hosts as we go. I think we yesterday we were online for all but maybe four or five hours, um, so we're up to maybe 19 hours, and obviously it helps the more the better, uh, so please consider that. It's a bit of a reenactment of Free World Dial-Up in some regard, because the Free World Dial-Up had a persistent community uh, numbers, right, where people could dial in and talk to others. Yeah, and it is. Um, and and free world dial-up had a lot of the same sense. And so, in general, you know, obviously technology has moved pretty far from 1995 when when free world dial-up was kicked off. And so, the, the general question for the VoIP community is: Is this all there is, right? And can we do more? Um, and just uh, and, and so the thought is like one of the examples I give that. The, the sort of the threshold of getting people into the conversation right now is very gotten very easy now with this web phone. Um, but as people get in the conversation and as they value the conversation, they can kind of optimize their experience and the providers can innovate, you know, lots of new sort of approaches to the conversation. But, the, you know, it's the usual chicken and the egg thing. Until the conversation exists, it's hard to get there. We've come actually quite a long distance. Um there's a little VUC history here. It's it was uh, November of 2008 when we first had ZipDX joined to TalkShoe to expose people to a wideband conference bridge, and it took about I guess three months later before we migrated away from TalkShoe. And in all these things, it, you know, the friction is difficult, right? You have to, and so that's back to sort of the partisan thing that if you're a partisan voice person, then you're going through some initial pain or you're willing to try to get there um, and, you know, eventually optimize it for others that come behind you. But it, it takes some work. It does get better. And, uh, you know, things like WebRTC are making things easier. 
Yeah, I think that WebRTC may be the threshold that that is, you know, is the spark that eventually is now finally going to light the fire. WebRTC and Opus. And Opus and and just yeah, just continuous improvements and and again with the the great gathering conversation idea is just trying to break the myopia about what is a call. In other words, we're in the great gathering conversation. Just to repeat it for folks that joined late, this has nothing to do with a telephone call. The thought is that for all the destination websites, as you browse the web, um, your sense is you're browsing the web alone. But chances are, wherever you end up you know, an article on USA Today or whatever, there's other people at that reading that same article um, or, you know, USA Today in general. And then there could be an operator there that you connect with at USA Today and says, hey, I'd like to, you know, talk to somebody that is is also here. And you you have a 24-7 conversation and sort of destination conversation at USA Today and ditto for the other 250 million web destinations. I believe we're going to take the hangout down. Well, I left. Uh, I need to leave. We've lost our quorum, okay. more or less. I don't know, but um, it was only up. Uh, actually, left it up because uh, Corrado is having trouble this connecting to ZipDX. I got to go anyway. It's uh, getting getting late here. Um, I was looking around trying to see if my TV.com post got posted. I can't tell, but it was a uh, it was good. Two sessions. We actually did two different sessions, and there are two different. Um, there'll be two different recordings and uh, I'll deal with all that tomorrow I think. Alright Randy, thanks, well, thanks uh, for setting this up and I'll meet anybody that's interested uh, for the next 23 days over and, and Randy's been uh, carrying a heavy burden so you might want to come over and help him out um, <laughs> over at 300,000 uh, on the ZipDX. Yeah, join in, it's fun. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.